So let's say that you have a family member that's got a cell phone bill that the company's paying, or you have an extra car that's, you know, or you have somebody on the payroll that, you know, doesn't, you know, maybe maybe work full time, or you have a golf club membership on, on, on the expense. You want to add back as much as you can and justify their non-recurring because the larger the EBITDA, or excuse me, the larger the adjusted EBITDA, the larger the valuation. The NJ Staffing Podcast is your invitation to be entertained and informed by fun and casual niche industry conversations. From cannabis legalization to temporary placement to hiring in regulated industries, we're talking about staffing in New Jersey. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to NJ Staffing Podcast. Uh, my name is Fred Amacucci from Davis Screening, and I'm your host. Uh, this is brought to you by the New Jersey Staffing Alliance. The New Jersey Staffing Alliance was started in 1960, and it helps promote the success and growth of the New Jersey staffing industry. Some of the benefits and main focus points of the group are to provide updates on the legislative and legal issues staffing firms need to know about to operate successfully in New Jersey, also to help staffing companies gain a better understanding of the industry and its role in the economy, and to provide knowledge and education for all areas of staffing through experts within the industry. And one of those experts we have today is uh, Bob Maiden. He is with a company, Foc- help me out, Bob, Focus. Focus Investment Banking. Focus Investment Banking. And uh, I'll let Bob introduce himself, give him a brief overview of his previous experience and uh, how he got to where he's at now. Good, Bob. Thanks, Fred. You're welcome. Uh, yes, uh, quick background on myself. Um, started my career as a CPA with the firm today called KPMG. Uh, spent about uh, eight years in private industry as uh, chief financial officer for a couple of private firms. Uh, the last one being a startup software firm that was uh, eventually sold. Uh, got the uh, incentive to, to have my own business and started a software training business uh, in the Philadelphia area back in the uh, mid-90s, and we sold that business in, uh, in 2007. Uh, we sold it to, uh, to a, a small public company, uh, stayed on with them for uh, several years, and uh, eventually found my way into the uh, M&A industry uh, in the, um, uh, around the 2012 timeframe, and I've been um, in uh, M&A advisory, uh, advising business owners who are selling their business, and occasionally, uh, we contract with the larger companies and private equity firms that are buyers in the industry. Um, and I focus 100% of my uh, time in the staffing, recruiting, and HR tech space. Sounds good. I, you mentioned software training business. What exactly is that? Is I'm just curious when you said that. Um, yeah, we, we were a uh, Microsoft authorized uh, training center, Lotus, Lotus Development Training Center, and then we really morphed more into distance learning before we were sold, but that's, that's the software training. That's the, the business we were in. Got it. Now, you and I are industry suppliers to the staffing industry. Now, you mentioned in 2012 you went into M&A. Um, did you directly go into staffing, or is that kind of you graduated toward that after you were in the industry? Uh, not, not immediately. I uh, I started in M and A, sort of a um, sort of industry agnostic. Okay. Um, but early on, I did see that there was quite an opportunity in contract staffing um, and and human capital as as uh, sort of as a uh, entire industry. And since I had some background uh, in in a similar industry, similar sized businesses. 
uh, thought it was, um, you know, it would be a good career move, and uh, I'm very happy I did it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you and I have been part of NJSA for a while. I think you and I first met, what, probably three years ago when we used to have the um, in-person industry partner meetings down at the diner? That, that's right. That's right, right. right. <laughs> Seems like 10 years ago, right? It does. It I, does. Yes, that's right. I, I've been talking to um, people on the committee, and that's, by the way, that's one, not to get off topic here, but uh, that is one of the things we want to start doing since we can get back to uh, in-person 100% now, which is good. Um, you'd still be on for that, right? If uh, I would, I would be. Those those are easy, especially those uh, early morning, you know, eight a.m. breakfast or whatever we did up at the diner, that kind of stuff. Uh, sort of easier to fit into a schedule sometimes than the uh, uh, some of the other events. Yeah, I agree. The the early mornings are a lot better, easier to get to. Um, one of the things we're also talking about is having. Um, different get-togethers like a, a happy hour at least like once a month for industry partners as well as for any other potential members one of the things i always said was you know when i first started talking to nj staffing companies um about njsa they were always like oh when's your meeting oh, and at the time we would only have like these you know larger events generally so um we started having more of the smaller happy hours and i think that gives people an opportunity to talk to some of the other members as well as the board members and get a better idea of the of the group you know yeah i agree i agree and you know that you know sort of more informal um somewhat flexible networking environment is um uh, you know gives yeah. us gives us the opportunity to, to, to talk to more people than sometimes the uh, the larger events yeah that's that that's true too some sometimes people are a little timid and they don't want to you know talk to people but when you're in a smaller atmosphere fewer people it's a little bit easier to talk to people i think I, you know in general yeah, I, I think um so what you know i'm not uh i'm not very familiar with your industry although i am becoming more familiar actually at the last uh elc we had a couple um sessions on m a and that seems to be the, yep. the pretty big thing right now in the industry is that right i mean it's booming Boom. Yeah. No, 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 no question. Um, it's yeah, it's certainly <laughs> been uh, active for several several years. Um, you know, the I've been in now for um, for eight years. Uh, almost almost all that's been staffing related, and um, you know, I say staffing, but it's really human capital management across the board. Because we we also get involved with you know payroll companies and PEOs and RPOs and. Contract staffing is probably the busiest segment of what we do because that's the buyers love the recurring revenue. Uh, but the entire human capital management space is just very, very active. Yeah, that's what uh, I've been hearing even, you know, since uh, last year, you know. Um, now, what about you guys? What specifically do you provide or what are some of your services within the M&A industry? Sure. So, you know, um, the we call it a sell side service so when you're in the you know when you're an m a advisor you're either uh working on behalf of a seller or or the buyer um, majority of the time we're working on behalf of the the business owner the seller i uh, was looking to um you know in many cases it's a, it's, a, it's a sale process where the business owner or owners are, are retiring um and we uh, what we do, what I mean, probably the two biggest things that we do to add value is, A, we know all the buyers in the space. You have to know all the buyers if you're going to be uh, in, in my business. 
So we, 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 we go to all the industry events where all the buyers are, whether it be private equity or, or larger um, private businesses. Um, and the other side of it is because we do some, you know, majority sell side, we do some buy side. We see a lot of letters of intent. We see a lot of deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can look at a set of financial statements for our business and, you know, within, with a, I mean, literally with, uh, you know, hours of uh, um, analysis, relatively small amount of time, we really can t- say, well, this is where valuation would be. And this is the type of, type of buyer would be interested in your business just because we, we are uh, focused 100% in this space. Right. And I'm assuming because of your background, that's kind of, you have such knowledge in that area? Yeah, it helps. I mean, you know, um, it helps that I, you know, was formerly a CPA, because obviously there's a, there's a significant financial component to, to what we do. Um, it, it also helps that I was a business owner that went through the process. I uh, actually went through it twice uh, <laughs> in selling my business. So there's 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 a non-financial uh, side. Um, you know the the whole thought process, the uh, the emotional side of selling the business. You know there's uh, the experience that I have uh, sort of covers both angles, and it's uh, it's one of the reasons why I got into the space. But it's one of the reasons why I really like what I do. Yeah. And uh, what about COVID? How uh... What happened with COVID? How'd that affect uh, things on your side? Sure. So, I mean, deals still got done in 2020 and 2021, but there was definitely some changes to the components of the deals. I mean, obviously, COVID had a negative impact on many businesses. Um, we we also, um, you know, will occasionally represent a healthcare staffing business, and they're on the other side of that. You know, they're 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 still. Uh, you know, on sort of a COVID bubble in some respects, uh, just because of the, um, the the nature of their business. But I mean, one of the, the challenges for the COVID period uh, with the business that was on the market was to make sure that the buyers weren't going to value it purely on the, the what has been the industry standard, which is trailing 12 months. So a typical valuation is going to be the trailing 12 months adjusted EBITDA, you know, think of it as profitability, but we do a couple calculations to add back perks and, and uh, some non-recurring expenses uh, to come up with what we call adjusted EBITDA, and then you multiply it by a multiple. Well, it was unfair, uh, obviously, to have a down period, possibly in 2020 or, or 2021, negatively impact the business that had been successful for you know years and years and years before that. Um, so really, the impact was that our our negotiation negotiating strategy would change uh, and make sure that buyers were looking at the larger picture to get the profitability of a business, not just the typical trailing twelve months. So, like the the twelve months, which would be kind of standard. Um, you're saying that during COVID, you kind of had a take even a longer period of time. That's right. Yeah. We'd look back three years, look back five years, look at the forecast going forward. Um, and have a much broader view of what you know we would use as a calculation for profitability. Again, what we call adjusted EBITDA, uh, simply because uh, so many businesses, you know, had some interruption of the business in 2020, and and, and some obviously also in 2021. It seems to be getting back to um, some sense of normalcy here in 2022. Uh, but we, you know, nobody wants to sell on, on, on a down cycle. And clearly 2020 and 2021 were a down cycle for a lot of businesses. Yeah, we, I remember, I forget who it was. We had a prospect, one of our sales reps was talking to, and she was just telling him, because we, 
we had the, the contract out to them, and we don't have a contract. It's basically an agreement because of background checks. And um, she kept telling the um, uh, the sales rep that uh, um, they're going through a, a merger. And so, you know, the sales rep came to me and he's like, oh, do you, you know, should we believe her? I'm like, yeah, it's, 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 it's happening right now, big time. And in fact, um, it was someone that um, was part of NJSA that was handling it. And um, so I checked with him, and he 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 clarifies like, yeah, they're going through, they're they're working with us. I said, oh, but that that was first time I heard the term uh, EBITDA, um, and then yeah. again I heard it at uh, ELC, and I'm like, I don't know too much about the business, but I'm starting to learn. This is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> what is EBITDA again? It's the yeah. It's the, a, the definition of it is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. There you go. <laughs> okay. I mean, there, there there's a there's a there's a rationale behind why it's even. Used. I don't want to bore you with it, but there is a rationale why it's used. But but we take it a step further. Everybody um, in a tra- in the transaction, the M and A world, takes it a step further because we will we really sell based on adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA is that EBITDA that I just mentioned, which has a definition to it. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can take a look at a, a P and L and just add back those items that are in the definition. But what a what a buyer. Um, or, or I'll put it from the seller standpoint. What the seller wants to add back is any um, expenses that are non-recurring. So let's say that you have a family member that's got a cell phone bill that the company's paying, or you have an extra car that's, you know, or you have somebody on the payroll that you know doesn't, you know, maybe maybe work full time, or you have a golf club membership on 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 the expense. You want to add back as much as you can and justify their non-recurring. Because the larger the EBITDA, or excuse me, the larger the adjusted EBITDA, the larger the valuation. Got it. Got it. Dry cleaning. Um. Any anything that's, that <laughs> you can justify is non-recurring, and we get very aggressive in what we will add back, and because everything uh, in our deal is negotiated, that's part of it. So how how long do deals usually take then? Six to nine months is is typical. Six to nine. Okay. Yeah, sometimes sooner, sometimes longer, but six to nine months is really the best uh, estimate for the timeline from you know engage you know starting the engagement to closing. You guys, you guys ever come uncover some really absurd things? Maybe um, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> Can you give uh, any you know, examples of that? <laughs> well, I would say that there's uh, there's a lot of there, there's businesses. Um, business owners and probably their accountants that get a little more aggressive in what they allow the business to pay for that is clearly a non-business expense right. uh, without without going into specifics. Um, <laughs> but um, you know the you know I, I think other than that, that's probably the biggest area of sort of um, you know sort of out of the out of bounds type um, information is really what some business owners will uh, put run for the company that are that are non-business items. Yeah. Um, we had a, a number of. I was speaking to a, a tax guy from NJSA, and he was saying the same thing that you guys, you know, you're almost like a lawyer, a friend, a consultant, not just a tax tax person, not just a financial guy, but it's kind of everything. Thank you for listening in. Stay tuned for the next part in this conversation. The New Jersey Staffing Alliance is the nonprofit trade association for contract staffing, direct hire, and temporary placement firms. For more information about the benefits of joining the alliance, visit our website at njsa.com.